welcome to episode 20 of the Fan Fiction Tapes. I'm your host today, Maya, and I am joined by... Dylan, always Dylan. Dylan, yes, I'm here. Elizabeth, I am the guest. Welcome back, Elizabeth, and as always, I am our producer, Ian. Today's episode is all about plot twists. To start us off, well, what is a plot twist? And... There's the definitions that are usually used are unfortunately a bit fuzzy for those of you who are less familiar with writing. It's basically something that happens within the plot that is not expected. It's an unusual development. Some you think you know where the plot's going, but it doesn't go there. There's a sharp turn to the left. Or the right, as the case may be. I suppose, yes. Or a U-turn, whatever. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes it goes back and it reverts to the initial state. That is true. Sometimes it does it. So, one of the ways to do a plot twist, and what's usually advised, is to have something of a rule of three. Uh, Ian, you put some notes in here about that. Would you like to elaborate? Uh, yeah. So this is this is something um, I think I'm cribbing from um, Red's trope talks, um, but. And it's not just something that applies to twists. Um, it also Set applies in, off, right? in, in other stuff. But yeah. So you, if you're wanting to have something unexpected in your story, you still need to have it not come out of absolutely nowhere in order for it to not seem like complete bullshit. Um, whether it's dramatic or comedic. Um, so typically what will happen is that you'll have that come in as a setup uh, to sort of foreshadow what's going to happen. Um, then you'll do it a second time to reinforce the setup. Um, and then finally, when you want to have your dramatic or comedic moment, you make it real big, and that's your payoff. And I just remembered where I'm cribbing from. This isn't coming from rope, uh, from Trope Talks. This is from Dan Olson, Folding Ideas, his video on Suicide Squad. Yes, where they that's a good video. Fumbled, they fumbled the bag on this so hard with um, Captain Boomerang. Because they did a setup, and they did a reinforcement, and then they didn't do the payoff. Um... So, back to you, Maya. Um, well, there's part of the setup. This is, for me, one of the most important parts of a twist is the foreshadowing. There is, quite often with plot twists, they're not entirely out of left field. There's setup, there's elements throughout the story that can hint towards this is going to happen. And... That does mean that sometimes your plot twist isn't going to be a complete surprise for people. Some people are going to have predicted the way the plot twist goes. But that in itself is also good. A plot twist that's just shock value is really only good once. Something that comes out of completely nowhere with no build-up, like, you don't even know it's coming. And in hindsight, it doesn't make sense. Yes. Um, I will. Another form of foreshadowing besides the rule of three um, is the the well-known Chekhov's gun. Um, there's. OK, uh, I can't remember his first name. Um, Anton Chekhov. It is. It is Anton. OK, I thought that was a Star Wars character. <laughs> <laughs> Anton Chekhov is a Star Trek character. Pavel. OK, thank you. Okay, Anton Chekhov is uh, was a Russian playwright, um, and in one of his books on writing, um, he mentions a rule that he has, which is that if a gun is shown on the mantle in a f in the first act, it must go off in the third act. So that is, you have the setup there, but you don't necessarily have the reinforcement, but you still have the payoff. Mm. 
essentially it's if you introduce an element you will have to use it later uh and i can completely agree with like you know if you introduce uh oh i have this special ability or this power yeah we want to see it used and that foreshadowing is it will have to be used in some sort of moment we know this I believe yeah. TV Tropes calls this conservation of narrative utility or something like that. I think it's conservation of plot detail. Uh, something of that, something something, of that nature. Something like that. Those, those sound both, both very troper, troper language, but it, it is basically the idea of, of not over-complicating your narrative with details that don't do anything to advance the story or the plot. Yeah, if you introduce it, you will have to use it in some fashion. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> it can be interesting to play with this structure. Um, Elizabeth, I think you, you brought up something off, off mic about um, uh, a show that kind of reverses this, uh, Ga Re Zero. Ga Re Zero is a show from 2008 an anime from 2008, and it essentially has the first two episodes be the climax or the end of the story. So you have the twist at the very beginning of the narrative, but then it jumps back in the third episode and continues from then on to the beginning of the story. And it, and the twist is not the twist, but the twist is rather how it is set up. Like, how how did we get from this this seemingly innocent situation to a place where one of the two main characters is suddenly on a murderous rampage and like how how did she get there like how how did how did the two main characters friendship and relationship break down so badly um and so it effectively does this twist in reverse if that makes sense uh, so what we're describing here is usually, um, it was actually a, a trope. Free Fire Emblem games in a row started with this. <laughs> it was like a premonition. Like, and we were like, please don't show us the future at the start of the, the next game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's sort of a premonition trope. And the trope is, here's a situation. You don't understand the context, but here it is. And... You want to see how it gets to that point. In Awakening, it shows your avatar character stabbing Krom, the main lord. And you're like, what? Uh, Fates, it shows a few chapters ahead, uh, like only seven. And then uh, Shadows of Valentia shows the two main characters, uh, one of them having stabbed the other. So it, it's really interesting that people... is a is a non-twist, kind of, isn't it? It's more like... How do we get to this point? And, you know, building up through all that. <laughs> so you might be wondering how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> In I a believe, sense, yeah. Um, a book series that I read when I was a kid, um, Witch and Wizard by James Patterson, I believe also started with the same kind of thing. The main characters are at an execution. And you actually... I believe, see them get executed. And then it rolls back to the start of the story. And you're like, how the hell did we get to this point? It's sort of doing the, oh, I see how it happened in hindsight, but like as the linear narrative of the story, without you having to literally like go back and read it again, it, you, you're given the, the juicy bits and then you're given the context instead of the normal way. I guess the quote unquote normal way that a twist happens is you're given all the context and then you get the juicy bit dropped on you. Hmm. I don't know. That's the way I'm conceiving of it anyway. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do we, my, you don't mind if we talk about examples or our favorites? Uh, I think that's, uh, Good. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, do you mind if I start out? Go ahead. I know you're excited to talk about some of these. Yeah, sure. So I'll start off with one, just breeze through it. Uh, so Xenoblade Chronicles, my favorite series, just came to 
uh, an end with its first saga. I was very emotional. But that series loves to pile on the twist on the twists. And they all are very well foreshadowed and everything. And uh, so the, the main twist I want to talk about is sort of the second to last big twist because of the first game. Which is the main character, the guy you play as with the magical sword and everything. Uh, he's been dead the entire time. <laughs> And not in the way you think. Uh, he's actually there. He has a consciousness. But uh, he was only being kept alive by the god that had stolen his life to gain so power. So he's sort of a lich or zombie type thing? He's a walking corpse <laughs> controlled by a god. <laughs> Jeez. And, and throughout the entire story, uh, the god that's been using him as an avatar sort of has been giving him visions uh, because he's a god, you know, he can give that. And has basically been dictating the the entire story. He's been controlling everything and, it, and he has guided uh, the character since he was like six years old, <laughs> you know, to make the decisions that would lead them to the point where the god could be revived. And that is, it's an insane twist. Because it changes the entire context of the 30 hours of gameplay you've had to get to this point. The, it changes the context of the two other twists we've seen. It changes everything. And it, it and of course, the main character doesn't fully die. He just, he has other stuff happen to him. But I just think when you, the twist is started building from like, chapter three of 20 <laughs> you know and you see it throughout the entire time how is he able to use this magical sword that only one other person could use and that dude lost the ability to use his right arm after using it for too long but this random kid can use it fine that's weird it's because that sword is part of the god mm. so well that I just would think, do it yeah it's like oh he's a chosen one or something no, he's not a chosen one. He's the unlucky chosen one. He got his life sucked out of him by a god, and his and God went, "I'll use this body." <laughs> you know. Uh, that sounds pretty bleak. Yeah. Yeah. That, the, ooh, the final few acts of Xenoblade, you're like, "How are we meant to fix this? This is insane. We're on the body of the god. <laughs> we live on it." <laughs> Uh, anyone else have a a good twist they want to talk about? I do, but I think I think Maya should probably go before me. Maya, what twist? Okay, well, since you vetoed uh, all of the other ones I wanted to talk about, um, <laughs> let's do something that probably most of our listeners are familiar with. The probably I'd say the biggest twist that happens in Star Wars. The reveal of Darth Vader as Luke's father. What? Now, given that this happened like 50-some years ago... Uh, that's not 50, that's 43. Same difference. It's close enough. I can feel my spine crumbling into dust. The march Ooh. of time is inexorable, and I will do everything in my power to try to halt it. <laughs> I'm only off by like 20%. <laughs> but yeah that is probably the most famous twist ever <laughs> and it's interesting because the uh like it wasn't actually intended from the beginning like darth vader and anakin were initially two different characters from what mm -hmm. i understand of like how luke has conceived of it back when he was like filming the 1977 star wars has there ever been, like, a Star Wars twist that wasn't done by the flown of the pants? You know, in the movies, at least. Most of them are, <laughs> That's fair. are done, like, writing the movie. <laughs> you yeah. Know, outside that... of the prequels, but that's because you've already put the twist in the future. So you have to do it. <laughs> and I that's gotta the say, it, it not being intended from the start certainly explains Obi-Wan's... Uh, from a certain oh, point of view. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And apparently Luke and Leia were not intended to be siblings from the start, hence the kiss in A New Hope. 
Uh, <laughs> right. Also, all the, the romantic <laughs> oh, tension yes. in Empire. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I kind of blocked um, that one out. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, and that's why, like, yeah, I think the intention with the there is another was meant to be odd. There's another Jedi who exists, and they're gonna come up in the next movie. And Lucas went probably, oh, I gotta pay that off, but I also don't want to introduce this entirely new character. I so I just Leia's made it fine. into Leia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it is uh, the higher, it is the highest point of Star Wars twists, isn't it? Though. The, I, I mean, mean that's, that's not they all much. seem to work <laughs> in context, like uh, because of the delivery and execution. I would say. Yeah, I mean, at least the... it's way, way better than what happened in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Do we want to talk about that twist and uh, how it's a very poor one? <laughs> it's, so it's interesting. There, there, is, there is a difference here. Okay, so the twists that we're talking about here in the, in the original trilogy, the, the I am your father and the, the Luke and Leia are siblings, they weren't foreshadowed. So they are coming out of left field, but they're only mildly contradicting what has already happened. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Ray is a Palpatine is a complete about face on the themes introduced in the second movie. The Last That's Jedi. All, yeah. But also the fact that Palpatine is back himself is also a bad twist. <laughs> yes, actually. Eh. Ian, you, you kind of stole the thought right out of my mouth <laughs> of how, like, even in the sense that personally I use to measure twists, that Vader is your father is a bad twist. There's not really much foreshadowing around it. But it works within the story because it doesn't upset the previously existing themes unlike Rey's a Palpatine Rey's earlier journey is about doesn't really matter who she is who her parents are doesn't matter it's not important and then we find out she is the daughter of the or granddaughter I don't remember actually granddaughter Granddaughter of Palpatine of the most powerful man in the galaxy in the last like two three hundred years and that totally upsets the entire like themes that were set up in the Last Jedi because it's like the 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 notion that not everything has to be connected to one family or I mean Two if families, we're if, I guess well I mean there's the theory that Palpatine sort of force impregnated Shmi so like it could just be one family <laughs> that could I mean, be a sell though. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, he manipulated the midichlorians into making her pregnant with Anakin. Yeah. From, a certain, also... from a certain point of view, Palpatine uh, yeah. is Anakin's father. <laughs> yeah, from a certain point of view. <laughs> um, but looking at all, you know, the Star Wars twists, you can say, like, they're not good because there's no intention, there's less foreshadowing. And it's just, but they enhance the story as well. They still work in context. Yes, yeah, like Luke and Vader in the next movie that is in, enhanced because of that relationship. It's not just this random guy who fell to the dark side. There's now more emotional stakes in it. And while It's Leia personal Luke one, now. Yeah, while Leia and Luke one has less to do with the main narrative it does still in that moment during the fight against vader he's like oh you've got a twin sister maybe she'll turn and he's so it enhances everything it makes the later story better we can talk about the twists themselves and they're not very well they i would say the vader one is executed well i i the layer one is like eh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> this kind of Actually, finish. I have a thought. Um, finish. And, but the Palpatine one, it, you're right. It goes against the themes of, and anyone can be like a Jedi. Anyone can use the Force, whatever, so on. And it it also invalidates Anakin, Vader. <laughs> you know, it it lessens what came before it. Because. Yeah. 
Because oh, Balance was not actually brought to the forest. JK, Palpatine lives. Ha ha. Yeah. Like. Uh-huh. And, and uh, it's an entire mess of a trilogy, you know, because you have, because there's no plan. There was no vision. They didn't have, you know, the story plan out at all. It was like, we'll just make free movies and try and make a narrative. <laughs> but in the, in the end, and honestly, that Rise of Skywalker twist uh, and a lot of stuff set up in Force Awakens has ruined Star Wars in long term. Like, people talk about Last Jedi, but honestly, Last Jedi, as a movie, doesn't do any lasting damage to what came before it. <laughs> my, my, Some people would disagree with you. That, my, that's a very I have low no opinion, bar. But... My hot take on Star Wars is that The Last Jedi is the second best Star Wars movie. It, it completely depends on if you care more about, like, themes and whatever, or if you care I'm, more about, like, character. It depends. I have not seen the sequel trilogy, so I have no dog in the fight. But, oh. I'm uh, not a fan of The Last Jedi. I was... I preferred The Force Awakens. There was a lot of potential there that, you know, didn't get I, picked up in The Last Jedi. <sighs> It's almost like J.J. Abrams should have had a plan. But he doesn't. That's his entire thing. (laughs) J.J. asks questions that he doesn't intend to answer. Okay, the thought I had earlier, uh, just another segue about, like, twists that aren't, like, necessarily technically well set up, but that work in context. Um... There's an anime called Kill the Kill, which I talked about last time um, I was on. But <laughs> but yeah, there's a twist in it that is... it. I'm sure they planned it from the beginning, but there's not like... There's not a whole lot of foreshadowing before it's dropped on them, like mid-season or so. Or I think it's mid-season. I think it's a little bit after mid-season. Um, like two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through. Um, but essentially, the main character, Ryoko, and the rival slash antagonist Satsuki um well Satsuki ends up doing a heel face turn sort of um but she's basically the two of them are revealed to be sisters and there's there's not a whole lot of like foreshadowing that I can think of that was uh that was ever really built into the story. But the thing is, with the mood of Kill a Kill, the sort of wild and wacky and crazy, like, cartoony nature of it, there there wasn't... I, I'm not even sure if there was any real opportunity for, like, serious grounded foreshadowing like there would be in, say, I guess, Star Wars or, like, Fire Emblem or whatever. Um, but the thing is, like, it may not be technically perfect, like, and some people definitely didn't like it because they still continued to ship the two of them, and because they had, they had been shipping them, uh, shipping Ryuko and Satsuki before, uh, before the twist of them being sisters was revealed, and they continued to do that, and some of them continue to do that to this day. It's sort of like Anna and Elsa. People just will not <laughs> stop at shipping anything. But, but that's, but that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was I think it was executed fine. Some people just are a little sour or salty about that, but it it works well in context even though it's not the most technically, I guess by our standards proficient of twists. Hmm. You bring up Anna and Elsa though made me go, "Oh, remember when like every animated Disney Pixar movies that came out during like a certain period had to have the twist villain <laughs> oh yeah in uh, oh. in retrospect frozen is is an example of a not a good twist there, there was like six or seven years <laughs> i want to say it was like okay so in coco we have to have one in frozen incredibles 2 has to have one toy story has to have one uh, Toy Story 4 had it. Uh, Big Hero 6 had it. I'm and not sure all I'm of them kidding. were necessarily bad, but it was just, it was a pattern of them being a twist villain and not set up in the sort of traditional Disney villain way that I guess people were sort of remarking on negatively. 
Yeah, it became more okay. The twist villain. Who's the twist villain? And usually you could tell a lot of the time. Uh, but I do think Frozen is a very like good example of a bad twist villain <laughs> because it doesn't make much sense. There are moments where he's alone, and we see him, and he's just like a good dude <laughs> who suddenly makes a, a heel turn in the, in the third act. So what you're saying is the writing is somewhat incoherent? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put that scene in. Put scene in of him being a bit colder. Foreshadow it. <laughs> or just don't make him a twist villain. Make him a, manip a manipulator. Make a villain talented. Uh, let's talk about a different movie, though. Who, who here has seen Hot Fuzz? Oh, I have. I've, I've seen, like, half well. of it. So, Hot Fuzz, I want to say, is one of the... It's one of those movies where everything comes back. <laughs> and... It's such a good movie to watch over and over again because you just, every time you watch it, you notice those things that come back later. But also the twist is great. So, obviously, everyone believes that, oh, it's a ploy by the big supermarket owner. He wants to build a new supermarket, buy the land. No, actually not. He is a bad guy, yeah. But so are the rest of, like, all of the Neighborhood Watch <laughs> group. <laughs> They're all bad, and they just want their town to be perfect. For the greater good. That sounds like the most assholeest HOA ever. That just sounds like every HOA ever. That's fair. Hot Fuzz is very good. Yes. <laughs> um, I very much appreciate the twist how it is layers upon layers and Hot Fuzz is a movie you should watch about ten times. And you'll it's also propaganda, but it is funny. Yeah, it's British. <laughs> it's fictional. I feel like yeah. if you can distinguish between fiction and reality, then you're probably good. <laughs> that is a high bar for some people. <laughs> I think it should be a necessary bar. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, it, it also shows how cops are bad. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, finishing Hot Fuzz, why don't we look at, I know, something like, uh, what do you want, guys want to talk about? <laughs> um, so, Maya, you have uh, American Gods listed here, and uh, love to hear you talk about that. That's actually what, among my favorite novels. Okay, it is a very good book. I strongly recommend it to anyone who's a fan of the urban fantasy genre like me. But the twist I want to talk about today is in, like, the first paragraph or two of the book is when it's set up. And it's actually going to be a little hard to convey over um, this medium because it all depends upon the spelling of words. Uh, the main character, Shadow, has a cellmate by the name of low-key Lysmith. Which, the way it sounds, there's just, with us saying it, you can hear a connection to the uh, well-known mythological figure Loki Lysmith of Norse mythology. However, the way it's spelled in the book, low-key, as in, you know, the phrase low-key, which, you know, refers to something that's not as noticeable, not always explicit, more implicit, and it's set up almost as a nickname with Lysmith being spelled as in, with reference to the soap product Lye, L-Y-E, and it seems almost like more of a family name, something like, uh, Cobbler or Wheeler, names like that that are pretty common in at least the U.S. The premise of American Gods, of course, is that, um... All the gods are real, and the various cultures that have been immigrating to North America have been bringing their gods with them. Oh, yeah, I probably should have mentioned that, shouldn't I? Oops. So, Loki's name doesn't just sound like Loki, the trickster god. He, in fact, 
is Loki the trickster god. Yeah, that's and it's it's pretty well set up. It doesn't really get explicitly gotten into for quite some time. And if you're not paying careful attention or sound listening to an audiobook, you might not notice it right off the bat. But the reveal of Loki as Loki is something that happens and kind of sets up part of a big conflict that happens throughout the book. I should reread American Gods. It's been a while. Hmm. All right. So I think largely we've been bringing up uh, examples of uh, twists that For the are most part either good. executed well or at least land well. Yeah, we've um, only brought up the Star Wars bad one. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, Some geez. good twists. Some good twists. Uh, then signs. <laughs> I think he got a reputation from uh, The Sixth Sense as the twists guy, and he tried to lean into that. Did well with Unbreakable. And then signs. <laughs> So, to understand signs, aliens start appearing. And it's very scary. Uh, throughout the movie, and then eventually an alien's in the main character's house. Uh, uh, and a glass of water falls on the alien, and the alien starts, like, dissolving in pain. <laughs> They're allergic to water. On a planet that is, like, three-fourths water. The... There's water in the air! <laughs> Yeah. How does but, how does breathing the atmosphere not burn them like acid? Well, perhaps maybe it's like a specific concentration of water, like a vaporized water, as the concentration in the atmosphere doesn't. Okay, this is just my post hoc justifications. I don't know. I don't or know. maybe, or maybe the aliens are actually demons and not extraterrestrials, and the main character, who's a priest, has accidentally blessed his water and turned it into holy water. Is that something that people have actually come up with, or is that... Yes, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. that is that is a theory that people have come up with to justify uh, the, the the twist here and make it less stupid. <laughs> but yeah, it it's signs was like lauded at the time because people were still you know sniffing the like oh, M Night is like one of the next best directors. Stuff, they were still know. drinking the Kool Aid. Well, they were told he was a great director, so everything he makes must be great. It took a few stinky movies, you know. I think The Village, The Lady in the Water, The Happening, and then, like, The Last Day of Ender, After Earth. Five really not great movies <laughs> that people <laughs> then, when look back at Signs, like, people look back at Unbreakable, and people thought Unbreakable was actually better than people did at the time. And The Sixth Sense is obviously one of the one of the greatest twist movies ever. Uh, but people, when they when look uh, look back at signs, were like, yeah, they really were the, <laughs> the signs here <laughs> that it was going <laughs> to... We were in for a rough time coming forward. I mean... Okay, maybe I've been thinking about this too much, but maybe the aliens just were... Dumb. Mostly... <laughs> um, made of polar molecules and therefore were water-soluble. Whatever it is, they either they didn't know and they were like, this planet seems cool. Oh, wait, our natural enemy covers free fall for this planet. Okay. Or it's like, I don't know, the aliens are stupid. <laughs> or Whatever the most likely... They're not sending their best. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's along the lines of a dumb twist because the, the twist does like uh, doesn't do much for you in either in either direction. It, it, it's not it's a pointless twist. It it's it's like religious subtext, and I, I care about religious subtext in stories. I'm a I'm a Zeno fan, but <laughs> the. The entire twist just doesn't land. People don't go, oh, it's water. And it's just like, okay, that's your big twist. And doesn't make sense in retrospect at all? I don't think there was any foreshadowing of the water being, uh, like, 
like there was no like idea that the aliens were like oh no not water it was like they might have referenced the holy water before and that's important like i saw the chekhov's gun like oh the holy water is going to be important but being like the natural enemy of the alien <laughs> you know let's talk about a more divisive one though oh so yeah about... a, a twist that people thought that some people thought was totally not foreshadows but actually was it's like uh, I, I don't, <laughs> so i knew the twist going in and so when i see the the things you it is foreshadowed and you can tell like i don't get how people didn't uh Maybe we want to mention what it's from. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. So, Attack on Titan, we want to talk about oh, the big twist. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about the one Ian mentioned. Oh, I'm done. Oh, I'm done. Okay. Attack on Titan. Go, go, go. <laughs> you go first. So, let's, let's go with Attack on Titan. Now, how, how experienced <laughs> are we, uh, all of we, in this twist? I have I... never seen Attack on Titan and don't Neither plan have I. on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, same. Uh, okay. no, I might I eventually watched watch the first three seasons, but only for the animation. The... <laughs> okay, so the basement twist. Uh, who's familiar with the twist or the basement? All I know is that like that was like something that was built up to for a while. Like you don't want to know what's in the basement. Yeah, it's sort of basically built yeah. up since the first episode or one of the first two manga chapters. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> So the idea is they are there's vital information in the basement about something about the true nature of Piers. Aaron, the first twist is Aaron can turn into a titan. There's information probably on in the basement. The next big twist: other people can also turn into titans. The next big twist: oh, these two people who we fought with friends can are actually the two titans that destroy the wall. So on and on. And eventually we get to the basement, and the basement reveal is basically every they fought, they were the last people alive, everyone behind the walls. Actually, no, the rest of the world is fine. In a sense, you know, they exist. They're just stuck on a small island that people dump titans on because some and the people in the island, their ancestors uh had the ability to be turned into titans they and they still do to this day and they dump all the titans there to keep those people in whatever whatever so people when they see this twist are kind of they don't like the change in direction of the story going from what they thought was something more supernatural something more um Primal ideas like that. Friend of the show, Jax, very dislikes, very much so dislikes this twist. Because I think people get into their own head about what the twist actually was. If you get what I mean? Or that there wouldn't be a twist. You know, they, they ignore the evidence, ignore things. They certain... took the first, like, setup at face value. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't expect it that there would be something like this coming up. And what I would say is, I think those people either didn't recognize the heap load of evidence or refused to recognize that and huffed a lot of copium. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, nearly... Everything points to it. <laughs> you know, if you look at any number of the so-called evidence or foreshadowing, it all points towards that there are more people out there. Now, the exact scale we don't know of, but we have a good idea that there are more people out there. And uh, and obviously, because this twist changes the narrative, the entire narrative, it goes from being... Okay, let's find out what is beyond the walls. It becomes, oh God, we know what's beyond the walls and they want to kill us. <laughs> so, and a lot of people just don't vibe with that twist because of what it comes afterwards. They 
would have liked to have stayed in that season one to three narrative. They don't like the season four narrative or the finale narrative. So how how would you guys feel about the twist that completely changes where you thought the narrative was going? Can we talk about that a little bit? So where I know it's hard to think of play twists like that, but you think, okay, this story is going to take us this way, and then suddenly you're getting off the highway going onto a different highway, and you're like, what? <laughs> well, there's a story, there's an anime by the name of Shinsekayori, also known as From the New World. It's sort of an adaptation of a sci-fi novel that kind of has that. Except the thing is, only the first two episodes are really like, out of like 25 episodes are like, you think it's going one way, but it's sort of, there's like this exposition dump in the third episode that essentially it, it, it recontextualizes the stuff that we, that we uh, gathered from the first two episodes. And I'm, I personally really like it, but it also, I don't even know if it can be considered necessarily a twist because it happens so early on that it's pretty much just more, surprising exposition see i have one but i think if i say it dylan's gonna want to hit me over the head with a stick (laughs) um you're not allowed to say luck tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i'm actually remembering something that uh cam brought up in last week's episode um i'm trying to remember the term um, but it is a actually a fairly common story structure in Japanese storytelling. Oh, right. The four part, like the, yeah. the setup, build up, the twist and then in the denouement. The, yeah. In, it's, it's pretty common in um, <sighs> Japanese storytelling to have this twist in the penultimate act that completely recontextualizes the story up to that point. Um, and Cam was um, mentioning how she oh, first it's... noticed this in um, right. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And it comes up in a lot of anime. Kisho uh, Tenketsu. Yes, thank you, Dylan. Uh, but yeah, that is the understanding. Whereas, typically in Western media, when we look at it, the twist is usually you know, saved for moments or, you know, the twist happens right at the start. We get, like, an episode or half an episode of something and then the first big twist happens where it seems like uh, using this plot structure, it's more build-up and let's set what normalcy is and what the normal stuff is and what we're expecting and then we'll change it. And then that's all the structure is. We establish what is normal, we build up, and then we twist it. It's it's the expectations being established and then subverted, basically. Yeah. Whereas in a TV show, it is like, establish, immediately change. I wouldn't say that is a general rule, necessarily. But we do see it a lot. Like, if I think about big TV shows right now... If we look at House of Dragon, big TV shows. <laughs> so if we think about like House of the Dragon, the big incident happens early on. There's the twist. We don't have a son, so let's name Rhaenyra heir, and that's the new establishment right away. We change it. We t- talk about Game of Thrones. Bran is shoved out a window because he finds out about the the queen and her brother are incest. So there. That's our twist, and we'll deal with it from there. And you look at any number of shows, and that's usually it, is that we have, especially in, like, an hour-long TV show, is here's what you think it's going to be, and here's the little funny thing that we're going to twist it. And this is what the show is actually about. You know, I don't think uh, Mythbusters had that plot structure. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that's not a narrative. <laughs> Maya. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was the big TV show I watched as a kid. Mm-hmm. Now I, I think... just watch anime on <laughs> yes. various websites. But that is typically the structure when we think about it. Hey, if we want to talk about, uh, you know, a uh, Kinsho, uh Tenketsu, 
Let's talk about R Ruby and that uh, volume three twist. <laughs> I think a good twist mm. basically recontextualizes everything that came before it. And I do think that the, uh, the Ruby one is an example of uh, some people just not getting the memo, like in Attack on Titan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, We're, yeah. We, we do Dylan, have you, that you, a little bit. You are referring specifically to the reveal of the narrator from the first yes. episode being the actual overarching villain of the series. Yes. That's, the, that's oh. the one you're referring to. Um, because <laughs> there, there is another twist in Ruby that I want to talk about. Um, that's the one I was thinking of. Sure. What is that twist? Okay. Um, one of our friends is going to want to murder us, but... <laughs> yes. Okay, so this isn't... Okay, so the Salem one, I think, is is a good example of the, the, the Kisha Tenketsu-type twist, where it completely recontextualizes um, what, what's come before. Um, the other twist is less a Kisha Tenketsu-type recontextualizing twist, but I do think it's in a good example of um the uh the, the rule, rule of three. three yeah and that would be the downfall of james ironwood uh ironwood initially appears to us as a sort of reasonable authority figure um albeit so one who's rather hard-assed about stuff yeah. he's he's, he's, he's a very military militarist man. he's very militaristic um very reliant on technology, but when um, things go badly for Team Ruby in Volume Three during the uh, the tournament, when everybody thinks that Yang has just cr crippled another contestant out of anger, he's surprisingly uh, on her side about it. He he's he he comes and delivers the the bad news that she is of course disqualified but he is very understanding about um what her mental state was in the midst of combat he's ultimately I mean, he is wrong about what happened but he's very understanding about that however um our first setup about what he's like actually happens at the end of volume 2 uh, Ruby fails to Team Ruby's fails to actually stop the train full of explosives that the terrorists are going to use to let monsters into the city. And while the outbreak is contained and the damage is repaired, Ironwood uses that as an opportunity to have the Vale City Council oust Ozpin as the head of security and install him and his fleet which he has brought all the way from another kingdom to provide more security. Um, so that's that our setup. If that doesn't raise tensions, I don't know what will. That, that, that should raise some eyebrows about what he's like. And, yeah. then, and then when he's reintroduced. In volume four, uh, he seems... Very cautious. <laughs> yeah. Um, Extremely so. <laughs> I mean, I can hardly blame him, given, you know... The stuff that went down at the end of Volume 3? <laughs> there was just the collapse of an entire kingdom that he was supposed to be in charge of protecting. And like, it, oof. And, and suddenly see... he just goes all Sakoku. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we see the uh, sort of de-evolution, or the crumbling of Ironwood, how he slowly descends... Uh, and when he's reintroduced again in Volume 7. But he's still and, on yeah. Weiss's side in Volume yeah. 4 in that scene. So we're yeah. led to believe that we're sort of we're meant to be like thrown off a little bit. Yeah, they're 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 throwing us off the scent a bit. But it's still even if he is on Weiss's side, what he's doing is still indicative uh, of where he'll go. Yeah, he's he's still tightening yeah. control. Um, he's still using uh, blunt methods to assert himself as in control. Uh, he's still relying on military force. Uh, and 
really disregarding civilian point of view, even if even if I in mean, volume four, the civilians that we see are assholes. major assholes. <laughs> yeah, they're rich. He didn't have to say that. <laughs> it was assumed. Uh, but ultimately, the, we then see how that downfall does come about. And it's him being overwhelmed again and fearing that, okay, we've tried it this way. We got to give up and just save who we can. We got to do it my way. Yeah. And, and so you have the setup in volume two, you have the reinforcement in volume four, and then you have the payoff in volume seven and eight. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we have his end, which was, despite everything, he f***ed up. Despite <laughs> everything, failed. it's still you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ow. Uh, but yeah, I think we've done some good analysis on each of these using our examples, so... Uh, and we've said what makes uh, Portrait's pretty good, I think. I think yeah. we've really done it. But if we do want to just go quickly through what we feel makes a plot twist good, I just feel sure. like, first off, make sure it's actually interesting. <laughs> if if your plot twist is like, I don't know, oh, the hat color was actually black, not gray. <laughs> don't make that plot twist. <laughs> like that should be obvious to anyone who's ready. Yes, make, but but try to make sure your plot twist is actually worthy of it. <laughs> and make sure your plot twist is actually relevant to the story if you yeah. want it to have like a big impact. I guess. Yeah. Don't have a plot twist just to have a plot twist. Why are you doing the plot? That's twist? how Ask you get Shyamalan plot twists. Yes. Have a yeah. plot twist that mm-hmm. does something for the point of the story. If you're just that, doing a plot twist because you are Mr. Plot Twist. <clears throat> that's how you end don't. up with signs. <laughs> um, have it, a plot twist needs to do something. This is something I talk about a lot when talking about writing. Anything you include in your writing needs to do something for the story. If it doesn't, it's going to feel kind of pointless and weird and you're going to get a lot of annoyed readers going hey what the fuck yeah and i think that's how you just make it good but if you want to make it great try to make it recontextualize things we've seen in the past yes that i think is the major sort of thing that twists do they or good twists should do they recontextualize all that came before i mean i'm thinking of like the end twists of shinsekai from the new world the one the other one it's um, essentially that a species of um, of creature that we've we've been interacting with uh, throughout the whole story is actually like genetically modified humans, and yes, that's a massive spoiler for the end of Shinsekai But it recontextualizes all that we've seen and our the protagonist interactions with them, even though it doesn't necessarily affect much in the way of the narrative, like in the story proper. You can still tell like it's going for like it's sort of like planet of the apes it was earth all along kind of thing it it mm. it kind of um it recontextualizes the viewpoint through which the reader sees what happened and i think that is an absolutely critical part of an effective twist yeah uh another effective one i would say is final fantasy sevens uh which is cloud's memories aren't true <laughs> They are messed up. He sees himself as actually another person. <laughs> and uh, not who he actually was. And recontextualizing everything we thought was true. And you can have different levels like, oh, this ca- character was actually doing this. You know, you can, there's many different ways to do it. And I think as long as you put in the effort to show moments of where the character is wrong or another character insinuates that something is not correct or something around that. You always have to put in those moments of foreshadowing. You know, some people like to not have their twists be noticed, like the writers of Westworld. But I think if you lay the evidence and people can put in their head, oh, this actually makes sense that something like this would happen or they start thinking about it you know, about five minutes before it's revealed. 
I think that's great writing. <laughs> Ultimately, though, the bar is different for every reader or viewer or whatever. So sure, sure. I guess if, if some people don't pick up on your hints that you're laying down, it's not the end of the world because sometimes the readers are just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, not, not everyone's uh, going to see everything you put in there, but yes. just some people are going to see things you didn't even intend to put in there. Oh, yeah. 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 So I wanted to ask Pansas. The ones who fly by the seat of their pants. Uh, how do they plot twist? I assume they George Lucas it, where they leave questions open and then use, <laughs> just use the twist then. Um, yeah. Not entirely. Sometimes I know that there's a twist I want to do. I don't necessarily know how I'm going to do it, but I can, you know, sprinkle in a little details and see how it works out as I go along. Um, but if I'm not publishing it in a serial manner, I'll do the twist and then I can go back and make changes to make the twist work a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say the main, the main takeaway for pantser writers is uh, if you are doing it in a serial manner, um, take some notes from star Wars original trilogy and make sure that your twist does not contradict any earlier themes that you have laid down. Yeah. Well, and the star Wars sequel trilogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one's a positive example. One's a negative example. Yes. Yeah. Um, for the plotters, hello, uh, what I would do <laughs> is just try to, try to basically write your twist and then write sort of any moments you think you want to include to hint towards the one way. So say now if I have a character who is hiding something that I want to reveal later. I have to show the fact that whatever it is they're hiding, that they are hiding it in the first place. And then question, well, why are they hiding it? And what are they hiding? I know that they are hiding something, but why? And what is it? So that's why you kind of, and then you sit, so you do that questions and then you expand on how do I show this? So I would, you know, bullet points and expanded thoughts like, just look at your twist and go, okay, what do I want to include to make sure I can hit those? You know, what is the evidence trail I want to leave? Or do I even want to leave an evidence trail? You do. But <laughs> you've got to think about those questions and ask yourself those questions and be, like, ready to say, okay, so I'll say, you know, this person is going to turn bad. Let's have them... I don't know, say something weird that another ca other characters don't really say. Or, you know, they're from another place, so they have a slightly different, or that they don't always respond to their name because maybe they have a fake name or something. You've got to consider a lot of things like that, you know? But that that's the advice for plotters is plot. <laughs> Try to make uh, do as many moves as you can. If you want to come up with one by the seat of your pants and go oh this would be a good moment to include that do it but have those major ones the major hints you know are we good <laughs> all right i think that's uh, all some good advice yeah yeah do we have any mail in the mailbag ian uh we don't so if anybody's listening to this and wants to get in touch with us you can send us an email uh, our address is fanfictapes at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter. Maya, what's our Twitter? Our Twitter is at fanfictiontapes on Twitter. All right. So please send us an email, send us a tweet, uh, give us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you catch this show. Do we have a writing prompt this week? No, we do not. All right. Well, I guess that's our word limit for uh, today. Before we go, Elizabeth, do you have anything you'd like to promote uh, before we cut out? Well, um, I am uh, on YouTube. I do write fan songs, um, fan music, and I my YouTube handle is agogobell28. And I would advise you to check out if you're a fan of, like, it's not quite fan fiction, but it's fan fiction adjacent, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, I mean, some of it is basically fan fiction because I'm playing off, like, theories and speculative stuff. 
but yeah, I've I've got um, I'm currently working on a fan song uh, for the inspired by the anime Neon Genesis Evangelion, um, and I've got lots of other stuff up there. Um, so yeah, go listen to my music. <laughs> it's good. Awesome. Go listen to her music. <laughs> uh, and Dylan, do you have anything that you want to promote this week? Um, still, as always, uh, check out uh, XVG Dylan on YouTube for my various gameplay. Check out Fred of Dragons on YouTube for my character analysis of D&D characters. And catch me on Twitch at XVG Dylan too. And check me out on Patreon at Fred of Dragons. <laughs> uh, that's all I have. Uh, you can also, right. well, I guess you can check out my writing, my subpar writing, on Agafaleon uh, and... Uh, XVG Dylan. All right. Well, that's all for this week. I am and have been Maya. I have and always will be Dylan. I have been Elizabeth. And I am Ian. Bye. Bye.